Well, we've been learning a lot of neat things in Galatians, and I hope you're not getting tired of it. Uh, and some of these things we need actually need to hear over and over again. We really do. And we've been learning about how we relate to God through the Holy Spirit, and we, we relate to God through the Holy Spirit, and there's a big difference between relating to God through His Spirit and through the law. I mean, they're just two, two totally different things. And we saw last time how we relate to God as beloved sons of our Abba Father. We relate to God as children of our precious and loving Heavenly Father. And Christ died to bring us into this relationship. And he purchased this, he bought this, he redeemed us for this purpose. He died to bring us into this kind of relationship, this free, loving, open, affectionate relationship with the Father. And the Spirit has been sent into our hearts to create this intimacy, this affection in our hearts for our Father. And so, so we live this life out of this kind of freedom that comes from within, become, comes from a work of God within us. God sent His Spirit into our hearts, and so we live by the Spirit of His Son living in us. And Paul's message throughout this book is that any kind of external law-based living is contrary to this new life in the Spirit. But in this passage, Paul confronts these people specifically about keeping the rituals of the law, such as observing days and months and seasons and years. Now, that may sound a little baffling to uh, some of you, but they were going back to keeping the, the feast days and weeks and the new mo- observing the new moons and the Sabbath days of the Old Testament. Basically, they were going back and starting to observe the whole religious calendar under the law. And many people are drawn into this kind of structure. Many people just, just tend to, to go toward this kind of thing. They, they, uh, they have a tendency for this. Uh, they're drawn into this kind of structure, the security of this kind of structure, either uh, from Jewish law or even from Christian tradition. But here's the problem, and that Paul's going to address here. This structure, these external rituals or observances, can become, and most often do become, a substitute for your trust in the sufficiency of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, and it becomes a substitute for what he is doing in you now by pouring out the Spirit into your heart. You know, I love John Piper in his introduction to the book of Galatians. He talks, the book of Galatians is about what Christ did on the cross and what he does in you now by the Spirit. It's the cross and the Spirit. And if that's, if that's not what you're absorbed with, if, if that's not what your focus is on, if that's not what you're rejoicing in, what you're glorying in, then you've, you've likely gotten pulled off in some way to some sort of uh, legalism, some sort of external uh, formalism or ritualism as the Galatians were. And this had Paul worried. I mean, he was vis- very obviously upset 
He was anxious about this. He was worried about these, these people. There's a guy named uh, Gary D. Lashmut with uh, Zenos Ministry in Ohio that uh, I've appreciated some of his works and writings. And he said this, to go back to an impersonal religious system, to go back to an impersonal religious system of any kind, now that a personal and affectionate relationship with God is now possible through the indwelling Holy Spirit, is to go back to a state no better than paganism. And so the entire book of Galatians is basically a call. It's a call to come back to freedom, a call to come back to Jesus Christ, a call to come back to the cross, a call to come back to the Holy Spirit. Christ died for you to pay for your sins as a pure gift to make you right with God, to send the Holy Spirit into your heart and so that, so that now you live this life in the Holy Spirit. And so, it's a call back. And I think it's a call that most of us need to hear often. Verse 8 says, Now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So a big part of the message of Galatians is don't turn back. Or how can you possibly turn back? Now that you've come to know God in this personal, intimate way, now that you've been connected to God by the, by the Spirit in you, give, creating this intimate father-son relationship, this affectionate attraction that you have for, to the Father, how can you turn back again? Some, some people turn back to a life of sin. Some people turn back to the world and worldliness. But many, many turn back to some type or some form of legalism, to some form of religious externals. And they end up just kind of going through the outward motions of Christianity and are not living in the in the joy and real and really the excitement and the adventure of this personal spirit led and directed heart to heart spirit to spirit connection that we have with God but Paul says all throughout this book he says that laws and commandments and duties and rituals he are weak and worthless in making you right with God they, they cannot produce the kind of heart change in you that you and I and everybody need. Uh, but even though this is true, and we've, t- and we've talked about it, we've really been talking about it for, for a few Sundays, yet people are drawn, people are drawn to this kind of thing. Despite clear teaching about this and against this here in the book of Galatians and in the book of Colossians and other places in the New Testament, the church, down through history, has been plagued by excessive devotion to ritual, to liturgy, to religious calendars, turning pastors into priests, adding special religious garments, and, and even turning thing, good things that we're supposed to do, like the Lord's Supper and baptism, into external 
formal church rituals or rites that become the thing that people trust in for salvation or to give them sort of a spiritual status with God. And they, act, they, they really are not looking to the cross and to the Holy Spirit. So now when Paul confronts the Galatians about observing days and months and seasons and years, he's just pointing this out as an example. In other places he, he points out the example of circumcision. But they're just falling back into these external trappings of the law. And he's using those as just an example of what he calls elementary, uh, weak and worthless elementary principles that, that really war or they fight against you entering into true spirituality. And so this is not a passage that's just against, say, some kind of religious calendar. I think Paul would add, and anything and everything like that that tends to pull you away from this relationship in Christ through the Holy Spirit to the Father. Now, Paul saw it as becoming slaves again. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, God pronounced us to be sons with full rights. Uh, He has given you the heart cry of a son for his father by sending the spirit of his son, Jesus, into your hearts. And yet, with these people, there was this inclination to go back to find meaning and status in keeping a religious calendar and keeping outward religious forms and duties. So, Paul asks them, and I think it's in the NIV, it just puts it this way, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And so he saw it as a slavery, saw it as something to be, against, uh, to be, to stand against. But you know, I think it's interesting. I think very few people think they are enslaved by these things. But before you know it, you can find these things having too strong of a hold on your mind, your heart, and your emotions, and you feel that somehow things are just not right. Without them, something is just not right either in church or in your private life without this certain thing going on. You feel insecure without it. You feel that you need them and you're, you're beginning to rely or put your trust on some kind of external things or external schedule rather than continually trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit within your heart whom God has sent there to help you to live this new life. Now, you know, Christians can celebrate certain days, and probably the the days that we think of most often in the church are Christmas and Easter. Uh, But if we become attached to them in a way that we think we, you know, we must keep those days or that we would miss some kind of fundamental spiritual blessing if we didn't or don't keep them, or that others are less spiritual because they do or they don't, then we're becoming enslaved ourselves or even enslaving others. I was brought up in a Christian culture that heavily emphasized something that we called QT, quiet time. And I, I, now before I go any further, I mean, I, I love to spend time with the Lord and I think, I think we all need to carve out times where we just fellowship with the Lord as, as sons of God, as beloved children of God. 
But I was brought up in a, in a, in a culture, particularly when I was in college, that just, I mean, there was just this heavy legal emphasis on quiet time. I mean, it was a familiar saying among the guys was, no Bible, no breakfast. You know, it's just, just this kind of attitude that, you know, you just, you just couldn't, you couldn't have a day without this quiet time. And you were frequently asked, I mean, one of the favorite, favorite questions you're asked in this ministry was, did you have your quiet time today? Or what did you get out of your quiet time today? I mean, and it would produce real shame and guilt if your answer was no. And, you know, I, I, did, I didn't hear that, but thank you. <laughs> and, you know, I get so much encouragement and nourishment uh, out of reading the Bible. And the, the, the scriptures bring our minds back to what I call joy-producing realities. I mean, we get in the scripture, read passages... It brings us back to those truths that, that, that produce, produce joy. Uh, we, we're reminded again that God is good, that he answers prayer, that he can be trusted, that we can call upon him, that he's with us, that he's faithful, that he loves us. We see Christ in the scriptures who loved us and gave himself for us. But a quiet time or, or a Bible reading is not to be turned into, into just a ritual by which I gain some sort of status with God just because I read my chapter or chapters. And if I miss a day of reading or a day of where I just have a carved out time with God, it does not ruin that day spiritually. It does not make me less accepted by God in Christ. And it does not keep me from walking in the Spirit as a beloved son of God, which is my main calling as a Christian anyway. And I remember a a pastor's wife who gave a little talk on on quiet times, one of the best I ever heard. And I actually don't remember very much about it at all. Except she, she said this, she closed with this one point. Some people think that if they miss that morning time with God, they just can't function that day at all. And she said, you know what? That's baloney. And even though she was giving this talk on how to meet with God, she was just setting us, setting us up for this tremendous freedom that we have because we don't live by quiet time. We don't live by a certain reading of a certain number of chapters. We live based by faith in Jesus Christ who lives in us, who loved us, who gave himself for us and who has been sent to live in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we live by the Spirit and in the Spirit moment by moment through the day. And it's freeing, it's full of adventure, it's full of possibilities, it's full of life, it's full of joy, there's no condemnation and we live that way apart from any kind of external ritual or schedule. And so in verse 11, uh, Paul says, because of the way that these people were getting sucked into uh, to, to these external religious observances, he says, I fear, I'm afraid that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. And Paul realizes that putting your trust on externals or rituals, he realizes that's a deadly distraction. It keeps Christ from being formed in you, as Paul says in verse 19. It effectively puts a stop to the work of the Spirit 
working in you the likeness of Jesus. And so Paul said, I'm afraid that all my love, all my work, all my suffering on on your behalf has not resulted in you living the kind of life that Jesus died to give you. What was supposed to be happening wasn't happening. I mean, the goal of the gospel is that Jesus Christ be formed in you by the Holy Spirit sent into your hearts. The goal of the gospel, Paul's goal, the thing that he labored for, the thing that he was anxious that would happen was that Christ would be formed in their hearts and lives. The, goal, the gospel of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with conforming to some outward religious rituals or keeping external religious observances. Spiritual growth is the process, it's a spiritual process of you listening to the voice and leading of the Spirit to the point where Christ himself is so real and dominant in your heart that it can only be said that Christ himself is formed in you. He dwells in you by faith. And that he is seen through your life. And there's no, there's no daily ritual, there's no weekly ritual, there's no yearly ritual that can do that. No religious calendar can do that. Nothing in the law can do that. So you give yourself over to the Holy Spirit not to a pattern or ritual of living or to some external religious trappings. Now, in verse 12, Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. And this verse takes just a bit of an explanation, I think. In order to reach these people in these churches in Galatia, which is in the uh, region of modern-day Turkey, but in, in, in order to reach these people... Paul became like them in this sense. They were the most part, for the most part, or many of them were at least, they were people without the law. They were people without the Jewish law. So when he says he became like them, he does not mean that he sinned like them or he adopted their pagan values or or participated in the sins of their culture, but he came to them as as a man without the law. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. He went into their homes. He didn't practice the Jewish law that would prohibit those kind of things. And so Paul wants them to imitate his liberty. Become like me. I mean, Paul, Paul lived so... I mean, he lived a completely sacrificial, sold-out life, but yet he lived so free in Jesus. And so he wanted these people to live in Jesus with that kind of freedom, to live in the Spirit and by the Spirit to know that same kind of freedom. Uh, the Amplified Version, I think, really captures this here. It says, Believers, I beg of you, become as I am, free from the bondage of Jewish ritualism and ordinances, for I have become as you are, a Gentile. A uh, commentator by the name of uh, Adam Clark, I'm going to paraphrase him just a little bit because he got a, a little bit wordy in this, but I love this, the, the word that he used here. He said, uh, Paul would say, become as I am. And he said, be as I am, thoroughly addicted to Jesus Christ. I was 
thoroughly addicted to the rites and ceremonies of Judaism, but I was saved from that. And that's essentially what Paul is saying here. And I love that. Let's be thoroughly addicted to the gospel. Let's be thoroughly addicted to Jesus Christ and this life in the spirit that he's called us to and no longer be addicted to rites and ceremonies and external kind of things. And the the irony uh, in the Galatians wanting to go back and follow these laws and systems and this religious calendar, the, the irony is that these people could never do law as good as Paul could do law. I mean, they could never do law as well as Paul did law. And now the law, he says, it meant nothing to him. In Philippians 3, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I mean, these people could never do law as well as as he did. I mean, they were trying to go back and do like a a handful of things, thinking this was going to give them some kind of spiritual status with with God. And and, and here's Paul, who could run circles around them as far as keeping the law. And he says, guys, I've done that, did that. I've left that all behind. I've thrown it all away. I regard it as garbage. And that's exactly what he says. But I count now count all those things lost for the sake of Christ because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. For Christ's sake, I have thrown those things away and I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So I t- I'm, I, I'm telling you and I, I trust the Holy Spirit will, 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 will move in your hearts through this next thing that I'm going to say, I trust the Holy Spirit will deal with everything that needs to be dealt with in our lives through this. But there has to come a point in your life when you utterly give up any and every confidence in external religious things. There has to come a point in your life where you count them as garbage. There has to come a point in your life where you no longer value them where the only thing that you value is Jesus Christ crucified and all the benefits that he brings you through that and particularly the primary gift that he died to give you, which is the Holy Spirit sent to live in you and now you live trusting in Christ and in the work of the cross and through the Holy Spirit and you count everything else as garbage, everything else as lost. And when you've come to truly know Jesus Christ through his spirit dwelling in your heart, that becomes your treasure. And you're so, to, so you're to walk in such complete freedom from, from the religious externals, some of the religious rituals, and so completely boast in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit that you can say to other people like Paul, become as I am. John Stott said, all Christians should be able to say something like this, especially to unbelievers. Namely, 
that we are so satisfied with Jesus Christ, with his freedom, joy, and salvation, that we want other people to become like us. You know, a person who, who's living in the Spirit, a person who's, who's free from legalism, who's glorying in the cross of Christ, who's enjoying being led by the Spirit, that kind of person is a powerful model. And Paul's saying, I, Paul is saying, I, I am that, become like me. And I think the message is that we should seek to be that person too. We should be able to seek to live in such the dynamic, living, vital relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that we, that we could say, be, become as I am. Now, Paul goes on to remind them of the, of the sweetness of his earlier relationship with them. And he, and he calls them back to the, to the joy and the glory and the freedom of the, of the, of, that they first had when he brought the gospel to them. You know, I love the song that we sang this morning, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul. Uh, oh, what a day that was, you know, I'll never forget. I can't remember all the words, but, you know, just talk about the glory, the blessing, that day of salvation. But Paul says there's something wrong if you're not continuing to, to have that sense of blessing and joy and glory in your life. But he starts out by reminding them of just the sweetness, again, just like that song does. He starts out by reminding them of the sweetness, of the blessedness of their earlier state in Christianity. When they, when they knew these th- things, when they were thrilled with the gospel, when they found out that they were no longer condemned for their sins, that they were no longer pronounced guilty, but God pronounced them innocent, righteous in Christ, they were, they were thrilled with these kinds of things. And he says, you know, well, first of all, he says, and again, I'm going to read from the Amplified here. I think it clarifies this. You did me no wrong when I first came to you. Do not do it now. On the contrary, you know that it was because of a physical infirmity that I remained and preached the gospel to you the first time, even though my physical physical condition was a trial to you. You did not treat me with contempt or scorn, or reject me, but you receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus himself. In other words, we don't know exactly what physical infirmity Paul came to them with, but he says, you were so overwhelmed by the glory and the joy of the message that you didn't even notice that my my physical, physical condition or possibly physical appearance was a was a burden to you. Uh, some commentators think that there is uh, something uh, offensive or possibly even grotesque about the way Paul looked because of whatever physical infirmity he came with. But the message of the cross and the message of the Holy Spirit was so precious to them that that, that captured their attention above Paul's weak appearance. So he says, you welcomed me and accepted this, my message of the gospel. You accepted my gospel, my message of grace, like I was an angel of Christ himself. 
And so he's reminding them of the thrill, of the thrill of the gospel when it really hits you. They obviously loved Paul, who brought them this message. Uh, He said, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. I mean, that's how much they, that's how much they loved him. And they, they didn't love, I don't think it's that they loved him just because he was Paul, or they just happened to love him. They loved him because of the message, because of the gospel, because of the liberty in Christ. Because he brought them the message of freedom and of living in the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's entirely um, to miss the point of this passage to get into a long discussion about what Paul's infirmity was uh, and, and whether it had something to do with his eyesight or not. I mean, there's lots of speculations. I mean, you can, you can read a ton of material on this if you'd like, if you'd like to. I'm just not going to spend any time on it this morning, except... I thought David Guzik had a very appropriate comment in uh, his comment, he, commentary. He quoted a, a, a guy named Stam, but he said, The difficulty of diagnosing the case of a living patient should warn us about the futility of attempting it for one who has been dead almost 1,900 years. Which I think that's a pretty good uh, thing to keep in mind when we try to diagnose Paul's uh, illnesses and so forth. But the point is that this message of forgiveness and acceptance with God and freedom from the law and that we are sons and daughters of God is such great news that we that we glory in the message and we don't necessarily have to have a glorious messenger. And if 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 our pastors and teachers and deacons and spiritual leaders and Sunday school teachers, if they give us the message of grace, we don't care that they're not that impressive. Because we're, we're absorbed with the glory of the message. We're absorbed with the glory of Jesus Christ. We're absorbed with the glory of the cross. We're absorbed with the joy and the glory of living life in the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul said he came to Corinth in much weakness and trembling, and he even says that some found him his appearance unimpressive and his speech contemptible. But, you know, not, not these people in Galatia. You know, they apparently had a little different uh, outlook on things. They, 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 they just saw right p- past all that unimpressiveness about Paul. And they, they uh, had such a sense of blessedness that uh, they would have plucked out their eyes and given it to him. And so verse 15, uh, New American Standard says, Where is that sense of blessing you had? Or what happened to your joy? As, it, as another translation puts it. What happened to your joy? What happened to all your joy? Um, Adam Clark translates this, How great was your happiness at that time? And he, he said the text should, should read or could more literally read, Where then is your blessedness? Having renounced the gospel, you lost your happiness. And that's the way it works. I mean, you you slip out of 
your focus on Christ and the cross and all that he did for you and how free you are from guilt and condemnation and how the Spirit is at work and you believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when you start slipping away from that into any kind of performance-based, law-based living, it's like, what happened to your sense of blessedness? What happened to all your joy? Having renounced the gospel or having departed from the gospel, you have lost your happiness. Paul led them into new life when he came. He led them into life in Christ and in the spirit, free from the law. And it had just given them this incredible sense of blessing. And the message of the gospel, rightly understood, will always bring rejoicing and a sense of blessing. And if you're not, if I'm not, if we're not, if we're not experiencing that sense of blessing or that sense of blessedness, it's an indication that our minds and hearts have somehow gotten a little bit distracted or we've turned aside from in some way or lost focus on the beauty and the glory of our salvation in Christ, in the gospel. Romans 4, 8 says, Oh, how blessed, oh, how blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will never count against them. And I love Romans 5, how uh, it talks, it describes us as justified people. It describes us as exalting and rejoicing in this state of grace in which we stand. Rejoicing and exalting in our standing with God because having been justified through faith as a pure gift, we have peace with God. We have gained access to God by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we exalt. And that's, that's, that's the result of the gospel. The result of under, clear understanding of the gospel is that we exalt. We exalt in hope of the glory of God, Paul says. We even exalt in our tribulations. We exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, I don't know about you, but there is, uh, for me, there is no better state to live in than joy. And I know we have sorrow, we have griefs, we have disappointment, we have problems, we have conflicts. I mean, life is full of these kind of things. And yet, the gospel comes to us and brings us joy in our sorrow, comfort in our disappointments. The gospel come to, comes to us and lifts us up in the troubles and trials and tribulations to the point where Paul says, we, not only this, we, we don't, it's not like we only just rejoice a little bit. I mean, we exalt. We exalt in hope of the glory of God. We even exalt in our tr- trials and tribulations because we've received this reconciliation with God. We are friends with God, people. We are friends with God. He loves us. He loves you. And he, and he put his spirit into your heart so that you love him. I want to have this sense of, of blessing. Um, I, I don't always live in it, but I know where it is found. I know where it is found. It is found in the cross. It is found in the Holy Spirit. It is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing and understanding and be, being reminded of the gospel. And so if you're not, not feeling very blessed, 
Uh, it's because you've forgotten the richness, the blessing, the liberty of what Jesus Christ did for you. And you, just, you, need, you need to go back and refocus on that. You need to get rid of all the performance-based stuff. You, you need to get rid of, of all the condemnation and guilt. You need to come to the cross with nothing in your hand, trusting in Jesus alone to forgive you, to make you whole, trusting in the Spirit alone to equip you to live the Christian life. God himself enables you to do his will. As it says in Hebrews, working in you everything that is pleasing in his sight. He does that by the spirit, not by you keeping some sort of system. Not by you keeping a calendar or a ritual. Not by doing all these external things. God himself equips you by his spirit to do everything that is pleasing in his sight. And it ta- it's such a freeing way to live. There is such joy in it, such adventure in it. You know, and Paul says in verse 16, Have I now become your enemy by telling you this truth? You know, people do. People become enamored with, with steps to become holy or to get out of some problem. They become enamored with steps or systems or keeping Lent or religious days or worshiping in some particular kind of building or eating a certain kind of diet or abstaining from certain foods or dressing a certain way or following a certain kind of teaching. And if you tell them, if you come and tell them, hey, you know what? You don't really need that. Some of them will get mad at you. They will, they will fight you on it. They will take offense. And that's what Paul says. You know, Have I now become your enemy by telling you this truth. Some people don't want to let go of those things. Some people don't want to, in a sense, step out into the, the freedom. They don't want to step out into the waters uh, of grace. They, they, want, they want to remain on the shore where everything's structured and ritualized. Paul said those people, he's talking about the, 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 the people that gave him a contrary message. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but, but for no good. And there's, there's always people who will seek to pull you into something more formal, more systematic, uh, more official, more professional than the pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ and a walk in the Spirit. There's always people out there to, to pull you away from Jesus into something that just seems more impressive. You know, just, just something seems more solid about it, more official, okay? And Paul says, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. And he says, of course it is good to have zeal, but not about those guys. Don't get don't get zealously excited about those guys. You know, and there's uh, there's there's t- teachers out there and and also I was listening to one just a couple of weeks ago and kind of drawn into what they were saying. And then there's such a such a heavy uh, handed guilt and legality was coming out of their mouth and I just 
said, just said, you know, I, I have to turn that off. And I know a lot of people are really zealous, enthusiastic about this particular teacher. But, you know, I just, I, I, I don't want to be drawn into that. I want to stay in the, in the relationship that Christ died to give me. So, uh, it's good to be zealous about certain things, but make sure it's good things that you're zealous about. If you're, if you're really zealous about something, make sure it's not about some teacher or teaching that's going to pull you away from a simple, pure devotion to Christ and to a walk in the Holy Spirit. You know, most people get pulled away from liberty in Christ by, by pressure from somebody else. Really do. And uh, they, they become impressed with someone. They become impressed with maybe a certain Bible teacher. And so they just start swallowing hook, line, and sinker, even the guilt and the legalism and everything else that they spew. Um, or... You know, people get it. Can, can, there's other people in your life. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's family. Maybe your family has certain expectations, or you know, your relatives or something. Something has certain expectation that you need, you need to be following this kind of religious system to really to really be uh, considered appropriate. And there's there's just pressure. You know, pressure can come from all different angles, but from different people to pull us away. And that's what was happening here in Galatians. And there is always somebody there to pull them away from that simple, pure devotion to Christ. And then Paul concludes by saying, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I mean, Paul was saying, I am looking for Christ in you, not a religious calendar. I am looking for Christ in you, not circumcision. I am looking for Jesus Christ in you to be formed in you, not any kind of outward religious ritual. I want to see you grow and, and in Jesus Christ. I want his very form, his life to be shaped in you, to be seen in you, to, to like it's exuding forth out of your, out of your life. That's what, that's what we're after. We're after Jesus Christ to be seen and manifested in your life. And we, that's, that's our, what we are, our goal here at Real Life Church. We are looking for Jesus Christ in you. Christianity is Jesus Christ living in you and expressing himself through you by the Spirit. Freely let him work in your lives and fully, fully abandon yourself to Jesus Christ's presence in you by the Holy Spirit and just let him form your life. And you know what? The Spirit of God is fully capable to form Jesus Christ in you if you rely on Him to do that. As Paul said, we live by faith in the Son of God. So, daily living as a Christian is really looking looking to Christ and I I would say more, more, more specifically looking to the Holy Spirit to form Jesus Christ in you and through you at all times in every situation, every day. And that's, that's how we live. We don't live by calendars or rituals or external things. We are living. We are, we are the people of God in the Spirit and following Jesus through following His Spirit in our hearts. Let's pray.